You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back and ready to talk film uh, here at the GGTMC. We hope everybody's having a, uh, I guess, a wonderful holiday season, I guess. I mean, uh, at this point, we're in the season, right? We're in the thick of it, man. In the thick of it now. Uh, No more extra money. No more extra time. (laughs) Lots of extra stress. Yeah, lots of extra stress. And uh, yeah, lots of extra sweets. It's it's a it's a it's an interesting time. <laughs> it can be tough. It can be tough for some of us, no doubt. Um, but we're here to keep you entertained at least uh, a little bit during that this holiday season. And uh, you know, why not start with a chipper one uh, this week? Uh, we're going to talk about the Hunt uh, from nineteen sixty six. Um, what's the uh, original Spanish title again? Do you remember? La Casa. La Casa. There you are. So I'm guessing Casa means hunt. Maybe. Uh, that'd be a bold uh, guess on my part, I guess. Yeah, I'll take that leap of faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I only say that because there has been, uh, well, there was a film recently called The Hunt, right? Yeah, there's, a, there's been a few called The Hunt. There's, the I think, the Thomas Vinterberg one, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that one a lot. It's fantastic. All right. I forgot about that one for a second. But, uh, I mean, I remember it quite vividly, but I forgot about the film altogether for a minute there. Little Vinterberg. Uh, All right. So here we are. Um, We hope uh, you guys enjoy this episode. See, I think I got some feedback here. We'll go ahead and get that going. Uh, Why not? I mean, it's it's good for the soul. Good for the... uh, the dried apricots, whatever those are. <laughs> you ever had dry, dried apricots? Oh, many times. I quite love them. But here's a pro tip. As good as they are, fight the temptation to eat too many because <laughs> they are very high in fiber. Very high. Very high. And that leads to uh, a very high risk of uh, the squirts. 
All right. Um, <laughs> let's I get it. <laughs> we got a message here from <laughs> from the April dumps. I don't know what you call it. What would you, what would you call it? I mean, you know, you got the April shits. <laughs> I don't know. You know, so. Yeah, that sounds about right. We got a message here from Walt. Uh, we'll play it right now. Here we go. Gentlemen, it's Walt. Your obituary this week, of course. How could it not be? Albert Pune. Um, A director who always made the most of the budget that he had, whether it was, you know, Cyborg or Nemesis, uh, which I always enjoyed. Uh, I'm going to put a word in for a movie called Radioactive Dreams, which is a little bit earlier, Pune. Um, uh, it does not have a... Uh, uh, Blu-ray release. I don't even know if it has a DVD release here. Uh, a fantastic little sleeper. Uh, <clears throat> like a lot of his work is uh, post-apocalyptic because that seemed to be his thing. But uh, I'd recommend Radioactive Dreams. Thanks, guys, for everything you do. Have a great week. I'm enjoy the show. Thanks, Walt. As always, I think uh, Walt had a little bit of a clicky-clacky connection there this week. A little, cr- little cracking and popping and locking going on there. Yeah, sadly, Albert Pune uh, passed away. He had been um, he had been ill for some time, uh, and there had been some false reports of his passing for a while. Uh, but sadly, he did pass away. He was a uh, a genre filmmaker to the bone. Um, we've talked about him at least once, maybe twice on the show. Maybe I know at least once we have twice because i feel like we did nemesis we did cyborg um doll man would have been fun to do but yeah he's he's someone we've always spoke about with a reverence and a real admiration for his willingness to roll up his sleeves and and get his films made and he was a guy that loved what he did and yeah. it was uh, it was evident right yeah. um hit the scene with the sword and the sorcerer which is a fun one, and uh, he, he, I mean, there's just so many genre films he directed. I'm just looking through the filmography right here, including a very early Captain America um, that you know people tend to forget about, um, maybe for the right reasons, but still, uh, early Captain America, Dead Dice Clay film, Brain Smasher, which is kind of fun and goofy. Yeah, it is actually, and uh, you know, I mean, just a ton of films. And, um, you know, uh, it, it can be argued whether they were good films or bad films. That doesn't matter. I think what matters is, is that he was a genre guy and, uh, you know, he worked really hard, uh, making these films and, uh, no, you know, it's, it's still sad. I mean, I think he was only like 69 when he died. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I was, uh, he wasn't that old. He wasn't, um, Ingmar Bergman age. Yeah. It's amazing how many films he churned out in the 69 years. 54 director or director credits. 54 films in 69 years. It's pretty pretty impressive. Obviously, yeah. you know, some diminishing returns there, but a lot of films I haven't seen. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to check some of these out. Yeah, I agree. Um, Ravenhawk. A little Ravenhawk action. I love Ravenhawk. Mm-hmm. That's what I was talking to you about with... Um, yeah. Rachel McClish. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, he did Arcade. He did, um, like I said, the Nemesis films, Dollman, you mentioned, Blood Match. It's uh, the sequel to Kickboxer. Kickboxer 2, The Road Back. 
the original sequel. Um, Vicious Lips, which has got a you know a bit of a cult following. It's a little it's a little odd one, but it's got a cult following, no doubt. Yeah, that one sadly, not just <laughs> Gill of the Dead, um, doesn't live up to the poster. But a lot of films didn't. But you know, yeah, it's still it's still fine for sure. But no, he, uh, Walt mentions Radioactive Dreams. That's one I've never seen, and I've meant to. Mm-hmm. That'd be a fun one to cover down the line at some point. It's got the Dudikoff in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I cover any of those, uh, to be honest with you. But yeah, he eventually, um, it seemed like he stuck around in uh, post-apocalyptic stuff quite a bit. I don't know why that is. Um, I don't know if he got pigeonholed or what happened. But yeah, he was in there quite a bit. Made some action movies and stuff. I heard that the film bullet face was pretty decent, but I never saw it. So I don't know. Nor have I, can you believe he was attached to total recall at one point? Uh, only because of his previous films I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously what total recall became, I I don't know that that version would have (laughs) been, I don't know what that version would have been like. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I kind of do know what that version would have been like, but, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, big difference between, and again, I love Albert Pune. Don't get me wrong. We've talked about him several times on the show. Big difference between Albert Pune and Paul Verhoeven. Big difference in director there. Although I think Pune could be transgressive too. I think one of the Nemesis films, if I'm not right, wrong, features a bodybuilder in the lead role, and she's pretty much nude the whole film. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's a it's an odd movie. And uh, there's this naked bodybuilding lady walking around like the, you know, the majority of the film, like excessively. So it's an interesting, interesting way to make a movie. <laughs> yes, it is. It's uh, but yeah, he God bless him. Like I said, he was uh, he was a guy who loved what he did um, and did it often. Right. So good for him. And, uh, you know, rest in peace. Yeah, he'll be missed. I mean, um, genre filmmakers, pure genre filmmakers. Or a dime a dozen. I mean, uh, but they have—they don't seem like they exist as much as they used to. I think it's because of the you know straight to video market and stuff. I think a lot of you know. I just don't feel like there's any modern. There's no uh, modern Albert uh, Pune's. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people trying to get their feet in the door, and then moving on to other things. But I don't feel like there's guys that uh, like the Pune much anymore. No, and I hope Albert Pune's name isn't just left in the the history books. Like I hope, you know, our our kids, their generation discovers him and the joys of his work because there's a lot to be enjoyed there. The diversity in his portfolio is uh, very admirable. Mm-hmm. We might do Sword and the Sorcerer one day. We don't do a lot of fantasy films. We might do that one day. I got the 4K. I haven't uh, cracked it open yet, so we might do that someday. Oh, wow. 4K, man. (laughs) 4K Sword and Sorcerer, yeah. Yeah, baby. All right. All right, let's get into what we've been watching. Thanks, Walt, as always. Uh, Walt's quickly becoming the the man that reports the deaths on uh, this podcast. Yes, he is. He's not that dark a guy, I don't think, but uh, I think he does it in in terms of... um, memorial right and memorandum you know just to remember these folks because you Mm -hmm. know it didn't make a lot of it didn't make a lot of movie website news i I saw a few websites had it but a lot of them didn't say anything about our pn so 
All right, man. Let's get into what have you been watching. We're going to keep it kind of. So I just want to give everybody an idea of what's going on. I'll be out of town in a couple of weeks uh, for an ex- extended amount of time. So we're doing back-to-back episodes this week and back-to-back episodes next week. So that way you guys have episodes for the entire month. Uh, so if you feel like we're rushing at all, we are just a little bit <laughs> because we're trying to we're trying to make it work. So uh, hopefully we don't uh, sound too unprofessional here. But uh, I'll kick it over to you, man. Yeah, so it's, uh, I, I think I alluded to this. I'm still, I, I kind of left some of the films I'd watched prior on the back burner for the coming weeks because I knew we'd be recording a lot of shows in a little time and I wasn't going to have as much free time with the Christmas season as we alluded to. So some of these were all during that, that uh, thankfully in the rearview mirror portion of time when we were all quite sick. So Teresa wanted to watch uh, Slumberland. The Jason Momoa film. Oh, this is the uh, Netflix. Uh, uh, Netflix fantasy film. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty bonkers. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, <clears throat> I I can't do Momoa. <laughs> I, I think he's dreadful. My wife, <laughs> I mean, that's her number one. Like, if someone sees something in the news about him, mm-hmm. it's on the wall. Like, one of her friends goes, oh, I thought you didn't want to know this. And they, they flip it over to her. But so I don't know if there's some. She's a she's not a mimosa person. She's a Momoa. That's right. That's right. Well, so, I mean, everybody, everybody's got a thing, you know. Yeah, they certainly do. But I'll tell you, my thing is not Jason Momoa. I, I, I quite like him. I like him a lot. Oh, man. I think he's pretty dreadful. Uh, he was the bad batch. He was <laughs> he did the worst Cuban accent. <laughs> uh, dreadful. But this one is dreadful to me. I like the. OK, so. It's heavy, heavy CGI. Uh, mm-hmm. I, saw heart- I saw that, yeah. Yeah, I think it's heart's in the right place. I think the little girl in it's good, but Momoa to me feels like he's doing a G-rated Beetlejuice performance, and I don't think... He- I-, I-, I honestly got like the douche chills a few times watching it. Yikes. I'm like, oh, man. like It was just a bad performance. Bad, yeah. bad. Yeah, he's got the, they got the horns and the teeth in this one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Again, yeah. That- you know, for a family film, I guess you could do worse, but mm-hmm. he bothers me, man. That's it. We'll watch something that he's in. Like, I don't, yeah. don't dislike him in the way I dislike uh, Wahlberg or Cruz, but um, I just, he doesn't do it for me, man. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the way everybody's got that, right? I mean, you know. That, yeah, for sure. But nonetheless, uh, you know, listen, you I'm do that way with uh, Vin Diesel, right? Uh, Vin Diesel, I uh, admire what he's done, but I don't think he's much of an actor at all. Mm. I wonder those two. Yeah, their range is about the same. Well, I don't know. Diesel's a little more serious, but. Yeah, way more serious, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a conversation for another day, but we got more time. But uh, after that, I got to run to one that I've been just, I meant to watch for so long. It was Raul Peck's I'm Not Your Negro, mm-hmm. uh, adapted from the written word of James Baldwin. Uh, this is excellent. This is just a fantastic documentary. Um, if I was going to do a top 30, well, you know, maybe we will do depending on our schedules and what we want to do. I like, this would be a, in a top 30 first time watches. Absolutely. For me, absolutely. Really, really good stuff. Um, yeah, I, so think, yeah. I think I've seen that before. I think it's really good. Yeah. Really. I'm pretty sure I have. It's got a provocative title, right? So I know I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. I would have forgot. I wouldn't have forgotten that title. No. 
Mm-hmm. I think I saw it a long time ago, though. But maybe, yeah, it's it's been a long time ago. It's it's really well done. It mm-hmm. adapts the words, his his writings, um, really well. Uh, it's seamless doesn't doesn't seem like it's just reciting uh, the written words. So no, it's very very good. Uh, next up was one that eluded me most of my life. Um, I decided to go for broke and jam as many in as I could. I watched uh, a John Schlesinger jam. Oh. The uh, Believers, 1986, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember that film. Uh, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, Frank Langella, Jimmy Smith. Ah, yes. This one's nuts. It's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's nuts. I, the poster always kind of intrigued me. Some voodoo uh, magic in that one? Uh, right? It's got, uh, like, Santeria. Santeria? Uh, yeah. Santeria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of... Uh, yeah, that's sort of a, know, I don't know if it was I can't remember, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I and I might be because I haven't seen this since probably 86 or 87. Yeah. But uh some like uh Jamaica Jamaican area New York stuff. Is that what is that what it is? Yeah, pretty close. Okay. Pretty close. It's well, it's like maybe a, Cuban maybe? I don't, I can't remember. Cuban kind of black magic. Um this was that time when there was that's the satanic panic was going on and mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You, yeah, like voodoo in films and centuria in films and stuff. Yep. Um, it's really, really well shot. Uh, I can't remember who shot it now, but it's it's a pretty a, a DOP was a pretty high regard. Um, but it, it's you know this one's good. Um, but oh, it's it's Robbie Mueller that's who shot it. Uh, good film, but it's too long. But it's got some pretty bonkers scenes. Like the opening scene for this film is so intense. And it's such a cold opening that I, I, I was kind of shocked. Like it opens with like a horrible electrocution in the kitchen of the mother of Sheen's wife. Mm. All the kids at the, the breakfast table watching her get fried and like smoke come out of her ears. <laughs> and she's shaking and <laughs> it's just nuts. But it's, yeah, Langella's good in it. Um, it's a good one. Like I said, it's, you know, Mueller does a good job shooting sort of autumn you know, late, late fall, sort of autumn New York. And, um, yeah, you could, you could do a lot worse. That's for sure. I, I like this one. This Lessinger is always a good filmmaker. Yeah, I, I remember liking it. I haven't seen it in, I mean, again, 30 years, but, uh, I don't remember loving it. I definitely remember liking it. I thought it was kind of moody. It's a little too long. Hmm. It's probably about 20 minutes too long, but, uh, it's still, you know, you could you could do worse things with your time, that's for sure. Uh, another one, this was also on Hollywood Suite, which was that uh, Canadian package, kind of like an, I don't know, like a, an IFC or some sort of channel like that, maybe. But um, they had one I'd never even heard of, Canadian film, called Skip Tracer. Uh, and uh, that, that's I, not, Was that the Jackie Chan movie? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No, this is the Zale Dylan or Zale, Zale Dylan Jam. No, I don't, I, I don't know this one. Yeah, no, this this is a good one, man. Good little film. I think you'd like it. Um, basically about a skip tracer in 70s Vancouver. Hmm. And um, feels like, you know, Repo Man's a little indebted to this one. Although this is a much more grounded in reality. It's about this hotshot skip tracer who goes around, you know, collecting debts. And uh, the young man who looks, I, I would have swore he was the father of Seth Rogen. Hmm. Um this young man kind of follows him and uh, wants to emulate his successes. And uh, you just see what the job's done to the lead. And it kind of takes a piece of him. And he finally realizes this after many years. And 
just, you know, an examination of uh, what he's doing, right? And his soul being stripped away through this job. And um, I liked it. I quite liked it. I know on Letterboxd, some of our friends had seen it and enjoyed it, like uh, Young Cool Cat and a few others. But you know, it's a good little film if you can seek it out. You know, it's uh, it's cool to see 70s Vancouver on screen, you know. so Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll check that out. Yeah, no, I think you dig it, man. I do. It's, uh, you know, not a lot. It's not a bloated mess or anything, but uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, I think that's probably all I'll talk about right now in the interest of time because I got well, eight or nine more. I can stretch out here a little bit. So I'm going to yeah. I'm gonna keep it at that for now. Yeah, yeah. Understood. Um, I watched a few things, mostly documentaries. Um, but as you know, I, I had a few that were kind of building up. So I checked out a few, God forbid, the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty. So this is about the uh, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., I guess, or um, the kind of sex scandal scandal that kind of took him out as the Liberty College president, and uh, he was tied closely to Trump and everything. So um, this is, uh, it's interesting. Um, Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, he enjoyed the the cuckold life, I guess. His uh, his wife had a pool boy thing, and he liked to watch living that cuckold life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, a little bit of a dark fantasy, of course. You know, once you add in the fact that he's a a man of uh, standing with you know religious right and all that kind of stuff, it turns into some juice and stuff. Um, so it's it's interesting. I think what the most interesting thing about it is. Uh, it's it's not a great film. Uh, it's okay, um, but I think what the most interesting thing about it is is that you know it, it's just another example of you know that just there's just no real, in my opinion, there's just no real truth at the top. I mean, the higher you get, the power corrupts, and oh, and it just it, it's just always that way. And uh, I know some of us would like to believe that if we get the right people in certain spots, that good things happen. But I honestly don't believe anything good happens at the top. Um, and Very it's, rare. and it's, uh, it's amazing that it keeps, uh, transpiring and people keep falling for it, but you know, I mean, people like to believe, right? I mean, that's the reason why you have religion and everything else. We all like to believe, uh, that, you know, things will be, that we'll see our loved ones again and all that kind of stuff. And again, I'm not, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not mocking anybody. Uh, if you believe that, that's awesome. Um, but the, uh, you know, the fact that people still believe in these leaders and things like that just kind of i don't know it's one of those shake my head moments it's like you know smh as the kids say on the uh, text oh yes <laughs> which when people started texting that early i used to think it meant so much hate i was like wow where's where's my brain at so anyway um it's pretty it was it was decent though uh a little little uh a little nasty in that regard a little a little juicy you know Maybe not one to watch in front of the kids. You get a little, get some uh, some perversion there. But, you know. Uh, yeah, that cuckold life's a hard one to explain to children, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know how you explain that one, really. Um, I don't have that conversation. Yeah, I don't know how you explain that one. Really don't. Uh, I watched one called uh, Killer Sally. This is on Netflix. Uh, it's one of those docu-series that is two hours and 20 or two hours and 30 minutes long. You know how they go. Uh, this is about a bodybuilder, Sally McNeil. Uh, she ended up shooting her husband, who was a bodybuilder as well. And uh, she says she was innocent because he beat her. Um, they managed to uh, 
do something else with the trial. Um, I won't go into too much detail about this one because uh, people might want to watch it, and there's a little bit of a twist to the story. Yeah, I was kind of interested in seeing this one. I saw the trailer. Yeah. It, yeah. There's a lot of, what I will say is there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously talk of steroid abuse and things like that um, so, uh, between everybody and anybody. Of course, uh, you know, bodybuilders, I, I, I think they'd claim nowadays that they're steroid free, but I don't know if they are um, because most of them are doing some type of drug of some sort. I mean, there's one great line in here where a guy says they they used to not be steroid free, and then they became now and then well they used to be steroid free, and then they got on steroids, and then they regulated it and took the steroids away. And some people in the audience says, "Well, I'm not coming to this anymore. I I paid to see freaks. I didn't pay to see uh, uh, fitness champs." (laughs) And I'm like, "Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, once you've seen the freaks, you can't go back, can you?" No, it's true. So you know. Um, but it, it's pretty interesting. Um, uh, just, you know, an interesting look at uh, a tough lifestyle too. Uh, you know, being a bodybuilder and stuff, it's not a, it's not a glorious life. It's a life, man. Yeah. It's quite detrimental actually, uh, to your, to your health and everything else. Um, because you know, you're, 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 you're doing things that seem like they're healthy, but you're, you know, so you're also eating 10,000, 15,000, 16,000 calories a day. And you're really just, you know, pumping, uh, you know, you're just taking the body to the limit. Diuretics, flushing all the water out of your system. You're just jamming so much gear into your body. It's, uh, yeah, it's the complete opposite of healthy. Yeah, it's pretty scary stuff. And, uh, you know, these people become a little bit of body dysmorphia. Oh, yeah. What's really interesting about the Killer Sally thing is it kind of gets into, our good friend Zom would like this one, I think, because it kind of gets into the... uh, bodybuilding ladies that uh, like to the guys that like to wrestle these ladies you know this, the, the, this is up Tom's alley <laughs> yeah. so he gets into that so check it out zom baby i think you'll like it um and then i'll i uh, yeah i'll i'll talk about senior and i'll save the other two for the next uh, recording senior here this is a uh, a documentary I've been tracking for a while because of uh, Robert Downey Jr. kind of talking to his dad and and Chris Smith, a good documentarian, making this film together. And I had read in the uh, trades or the internet or whatever you want to call it that uh, in true Robert Downey Sr. fashion, um, he kind of had taken over the documentary in some weird way um, with Chris Smith and started telling him to shoot this, shoot that and stuff. Now, when you think about independent filmmakers, esoteric and unique and everything else, Robert Downey Sr. has got to be near the top. He's uh, His films are difficult. Uh, I've never really been a huge fan of his work. I've always admired him. I've always admired his sense of humor. And I've always admired his kind of... Ri- I mean, he's, he's one of these kind of people who takes nothing seriously. Um, nothing, which Robert Downey Jr. is the same way. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, questionable parenting techniques. He's often said, and everything else. You know, the, the the group he grew up with. You know, the kids all smoke pot with them, and and you know, the, the, he he has a lot of regrets the things he did because you know, Junior ended up in so much trouble. But um, barring all that and stuff, what this really is is a story of uh, fathers and sons, and and um, you know, reaching understanding of each other. And it's really quite uh, quite touching and really made me very emotional. And uh, 
It's really tough. I mean, it's a tough one. Um, what they decide to do because a senior and the way he was so esoteric and obtuse and strange here, I don't want to give away, but I mean, they go about as far as you can go with this. He's suffering from Parkinson's in the film and he just gets progressively worse. And it just, uh, it's rough. It's rough to watch. And, uh, but it's really, really good. And, um, I, I, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I, I just, if you've had a loved one kind of deteriorate uh, slowly in front of you, though, in the last, if it's still kind of a raw wound for you, um, I don't know if this is going to be a, a bearable watch um, because uh, it can be pretty brutal at moments um, and very raw emotionally, very raw. Um, but, you know, again, if you don't know anything about Robert Downey Sr., Check out some of his films. Again, they're very difficult. Uh, Greaser's Palace, Putney Swope. These are these are not easy films. Um, matter of fact, some would they're either the, for some people they're like the greatest films ever made, like Paul Thomas Anderson. For some people, they're the worst films ever made. <laughs> so they, he really he really don't have an in between his films. So they you know I'm not a fan of seniors' films for the record. Uh, I like the way they look. I like some of the things they do, but. He's more of a transgressive filmmaker by way of wearing you out than he is anything else. So, um, but I always liked his interviews and stuff because he doesn't take anything seriously. He he didn't take life seriously. He didn't take anything seriously. So I enjoy that because I don't take anything seriously. Um, so I do have I do share that in common with him. Um, but yeah, it's on Netflix as well. That's a Netflix original. So again, this is some of the good stuff that Netflix does. They put these things out. Uh, because this wouldn't have got a theatrical release at all. So then that way I'm thankful for them. All right. Um, I guess uh, that's all we got. Um, I think we got what you what you got. Would you say something? Just didn't know if you knew what time it was. No. Oh, what time is it? Except this or that. All right, this or that time. What you got, Will? We're going to keep it kind of brief this week. Uh, we have noticed that, uh, you know, just for full disclosure, the show has been running a little longer than we anticipated. We never planned on the show going back to the two-hour format, but uh, <laughs> it has been lately. So, again, we are kind of cognizant of the fact that uh, we're running long and strong lately. Um, yeah, we're going <laughs> to shave a little off and yeah, do a little shaving here. Yeah, keep it uh, keep it tight. Uh Battle of Algiers or Army of Shadows. Ah. Well, I like both those films a lot. I think I'll go Battle of Algiers though because well, no, 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 no. No, I think I'll go Army of Shadows. Oh, and that's I, a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I will. Only because Battle of Algiers, I, I, I mean, not Battle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it is a tough one. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, it is a tough one. <laughs> it's uh, It snuck up on me. That's how tough it is. It's one of those ones that snuck up on me a little bit. I think those two are, are like among the greatest films uh, that France has produced, for my money. Uh, yeah, they're up there. 
Uh, I mean that's that's a that's a hefty comment right there too. But that is. I mean, you're talking about a country that has made a lot of great films. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go Army of Shadows. Uh, I probably I probably slightly lean that way, like ever so slightly. Ever so slightly, I agree. Ever so slightly. All right, uh, we're going to go back and forth here. We're just going to do four of them this morning. Um, what what do you got on that one? You decide that you're the same thing. You're going to go Army of Shadows. Yeah, I'm, as well. like, I'm like fifty one forty nine Army yeah. of Shadows. Uh, I'm about the same. It's close. I mean, you ask me tomorrow, I might say Battle. Sure. All right. How about Cyborg or Nemesis? Ah oh, man, <laughs> sneaky hard. Man, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go cyborg for the Vincent Clint thereby. <laughs> okay, I, I see where you, I see your angle. Tough one though. I, I love. Yeah, Nemesis is fun. Yeah, I like Nemesis too. It's um, uh, but you know, as much as I like it, I, I gotta go cyborg too because the Clint and not also the the uh, the uh, you know JCVD. I, I I still like that one. You know, we did a. Uh, didn't we ended up we ended up doing the uh, director's cut of that, didn't we? Yeah, the work print or the director's cut, I think it was. Slinger or something like that? Slinger, which makes it a lot more grim, right? Yeah, yeah. It did. Uh, It felt more grim. Yeah. Of course, it's for the JCVD, but Clint's the dessert uh, at that table. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Um, Yeah, I think I'll I'll go with you. Well, yeah, I'm going to go with you, Cyborg. And that is a tougher one, tougher one than I even I thought it was. All right. Uh, What you got next here? curious where you're going to go on this one i tried to ponder where i thought you would go i can't get there um creature feature or post-apocalyptic oh. <laughs> <laughs> i think i like creature features more because i think you know overall the quality of creature features kind of stands out post-apocalyptic is fun but um there's a lot of bad post-apocalyptic movies <laughs> isn't there i mean there's there's a lot of bad ones there's a lot of bad creature features though too yeah that's true i don't know I, I think i might give more leeway to the creature features that are bad if that do makes you remember sense the creature that looks like a melted twix bar most of the time i do most of the time the creatures but sometimes with creature features the only thing you do remember is the creature <laughs> well and i guess that's the goal isn't it but i think i remembered you called um is it Don Dolder's Night Beast? It's Don Dolder, right? The yeah. Night Beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you, you had said that the creature looks like a melted Twix bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he kind of does. And at yes. one point, I think he's wearing like a like almost like a disco suit. That yeah, that is incredible. <laughs> it is. That's, it that's is. one, and from the early days of GGTMC, <laughs> that it, if you haven't seen Night Beast, you oh. got to see Night Beast. And Night Beast is one of the great low but no budget films. It's awesome. Where are you, where do you stand on that? Post apocalyptic or I'm I'm easily post apocalyptic. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured you might go creature feature, but uh mm. oh my erase and some yeah, okay. Um <laughs> I just think of all the Italian ones and uh Mad Max and stuff like Cyborg and Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah. Uh I think I just I went down that rabbit hole and there's a lot of bad ones a long time ago. Yeah, there is, man. There totally is. But uh, I mean, both genres uh, do not want for bad films. Uh, there, there, there's definitely <laughs> some bad movies in there. An embarrassment of riches of bad films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but um I don't know. I think uh, I think I have a little bit more of a soft spot for the the people that put together the creatures. And sometimes you get both in one film. Yeah, you know, post-apocalyptic creature feature. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, one more pun for you. Uh, since I know you've seen both these films, Sword and Sorcerer or Brain Smasher, A Love Story. This is harder than you'd think. It is. This is two wildly different movies. But I think two underrated films. Um, well, Sword and Sorcerer might uh, certainly with a certain generation, it's got a, a, a devout following. But Brain Smasher is incredibly underseen. Yes, it is. Uh, probably because at the time, I think Dice was on the on the down on the downslide. Because you know he was only around for a hot minute. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go, and I've shouted out early in the, from the early days, Lee Horsley. As Prince Talon, but I gotta go Brain Smasher, man. That's I mean, look, I, I can't knock you for that. I can't because I think Brain Smasher's it, it's goofy fun. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's 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 underrated. It, it really is underrated. It's got a fun cast, but I mean, Sword and the Sorcerer's. The, yeah, I think the oh, but so does Sword and the Sorcerer. I forgot Richard Lynch, man. He's the heavy. <laughs> yeah, he's the heavy in that. Yeah. <sighs> he's quite. I, uh, he's quite Richard Lynchy in it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is. Lynch is going to lynch. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm still going to go brain smasher, but I don't feel good, necessarily good about that. Yeah, I think we we're, we're, we're make, we make this really hard on each other is what we do. What about you, man? You're sword and the sorcerer, I think. I am. I am. Uh, but it's only by a little bit of Dice's quaff, uh, quaffed hair that I am. Um, because I've always kind of championed brain smasher and its ridiculousness. And... Uh, was always curious why people that liked Fort Fairlane didn't like Brain Smasher. Uh, I mean, Weird. Fort Fairlane is completely around Dice's sense of humor. Brain Smasher is a little different, but it's also quite wacky and fun and goofy and I don't know. Good time. Tim Thomerson's in there and their Tim Thomerson jam and uh, Thomerson and Pune like Thomerson man, doll yeah. man, like you know, yeah. Peter Kwong's in there. Anyway, uh, okay. That's this or that. Um, we hope you enjoyed that or this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk the hunt from 66. We'll be back right after this. You got that real good feeling. This film I might. <laughs> yeah, that this film might not give you a real good feeling. It won't. But <laughs> talking about it with my with my guy will. <laughs> we'll see. We will see about that. All right, uh, La Casa, The Hunt, nineteen sixty six, directed by one Carlos Sara. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about him in a minute. Um, 
plot synopsis three men go hunting rabbits during a hot day heat and talking about events happened in that happened that happened in the past they got events happened in the past here make them angry until they go totally crazy um this has ishmael merlo who i thought i'd seen in some other stuff he's got that kind of face they all kind of have that face save for maybe enrique the youngest like and you know Alfredo Mayo and mm-hmm. Jose Maria Prada, all three of them kind of have an interchangeable look a little bit. Yeah. I looked through their filmographies to see what else I'd seen them in because they have that face. Yeah. And uh, maybe I'd, I, I mean, I don't want to sit here and claim that I've seen these guys. I know these guys for a lot of films because I don't. They for mostly the, worked in Spain, right? For the Alfredo Mayo completist. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I don't know that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I've seen some stuff. Yeah. But uh, nothing really kind of jumps right to the top. And most of it, again, is Spanish stuff. I, I thought maybe they might be in some westerns or some spaghetti westerns. Um, And maybe they are. But uh, I don't really, none of it really kind of just, uh, well, it looks like Alfredo Mayo was in Sabata the Killer. So we definitely seen him. In, I've seen him in that, but I don't remember him. Anyway, um. Yeah, so you got uh, Ishmael, uh, Ishmael, uh, Ishmael, maybe Merlo, Alfredo Mayo, Jose Maria Prada, and Emilio Gutierrez Caba, uh, the main stars of the film. And then yeah. uh, there's another fellow that walks around with a limp named Fernando Sanchez Pollock. Juan, he plays Juan. Do you hear him say Juan a lot? He's seen Juan. Um, and then a, a adolescent girl, or at least a, at least very young looking girl. Uh, Violetta Garcia uh, playing Carmen. Um, so Carlos Sara uh, is a filmmaker of some renown, right? I mean, oh, big time! Yeah, he's made some. He's made some movies big over time. the years. I don't know how many of them we have covered, if any. I don't think we have. And, and truth be told, that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk about him. Was I uh, was going to pick a kinky film like a. Uh, this subgenre from Spain. They're kind of like a youth gone wild. A, cool, a, cook, a cook old film, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> There's that Italian one, the magnificent cuckold. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They love, they, they, uh, they actually were into that stuff a little bit for a little while. You want to enrage an Italian man, call him a quarter. No, no, what is it? Uh, I can't remember the Italian phrase right now. But uh, anyway, um, talking about cuckold and trying to have work. <laughs> She, yeah. <laughs> but Sauda is a filmmaker that, interestingly, in full disclosure, I wanted to cover one of his kinky films, and then I was like, wait a second, this film, La Casa, was a tremendously, tre- just a large, large influence on Sam Peckinpah. Mm-hmm. He really deeply admired this film, which is evident when you see it. Uh, Stanley Kubrick adored Carlos Sauda's films, and I thought, well, surely that's good enough for us. Um, I haven't seen, I don't know if I've seen anything else of his work, but looking at his filmography now, uh, God, there's, I mean, there's so many films now that look fantastic. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. it's just, how did I not know about this guy? But that, that's the beauty of what we do, right? The rabbit holes we go down and, mm-hmm. and you can get down there and think like this guy, we look at Almodovar and, um, what's his name? Uh, Louis, uh, <clears throat> what's his name? Spanish Mall? filmmaker. No, not Louis Mall. Yeah. No, goodness. He's uh, French, yeah. Oh, what's his name? I can't even forget his name. The coffee hasn't kicked in yet. 
we should also say that Louis Bunuel. Louis Bunuel. Oh, Bunuel. Duh. Yeah. Jess Franco. I mean, Amenabar, the Iglesia. There's been a lot of them, but Saura seems to have been the guy that, between him and Bunuel, you know, and even more so than Bunuel, Saura seems to be international success, right? Like, he won the Silver Bear for this, uh, which is the, the director uh, nod uh, at Berlin, I think. Um, he's been nominated for Oscars for Best Foreign Film. So, I mean, the hardware is there. What's amazing is you saying Louis and me going straight to France with Maul and not even thinking of Bunuel. Well, I couldn't think of even Bunuel <laughs> or anything. So at least you threw a filmmaker named Louis out there. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Well, you threw the Louis out, though. So I don't know. Embarrassing. So at some point, somewhere, somebody's going, "Yeah, Boonwell, guys, it's Boonwell, oh, yeah. uh, Boonwell, yeah. guys," and we're like, "Um, um, <laughs> uh, yeah." And we should say for the record that uh, Sarah is still working. Oh yeah, he is very energetic. Yeah, you know, ninety, 90 that, years old. I admire, man. Like I'm just reading a little bit about him, and again, this show. Our show doesn't afford us the time to necessarily deep dive on things like they deserve. Sauda deserves, you know, a lot of uh, time spent researching him, celebrating him. He's a photographer. He's still he has a thing. He takes a photo every day. Ninety years old, still working, still making documentaries. That's incredible. Yeah, that it is. It's pretty incredible. Um, okay, let's get into this film. Um, so I had never seen this and be honest with you, I really don't know a lot of Sars work at all. I don't think I've seen any of his films. I just looked through his filmography. Nothing jumped out at me. So if I've seen anything, it's been by accident and I haven't paid attention. Uh, so I'll try to rectify that because this one was pretty good. This one, um, you can definitely see the influence on Peck and Paul more so in the men being men and kind of, uh, machismo kind of aspect of the film and it's, how important it is to be a man to these men. It's remarkable to me to see this and see that this was such a heavy influence on Peck and Paul because yeah, there's this, th there's this sort of cut through the bullshit kind of emotional honesty that Saura presents men in their inner dialogue, their outer dialogue the tensions between men, men wrestling with uh, things internally and otherwise. It, it just, it really, you're like, wow, this this did inform a lot of Peck and Pa's work. Yeah. And it, it's one of those. And then I think that, um, you know, what's interesting is it's it's kind of about the, it, there's some of, some of the gentlemen in this film are very happy being a man. Paco, for instance. Jose has definitely been happy in the past being a man but he's made some mistakes uh both with relationships and with money and he's under a tremendous amount of stress there's a bit of a twist in the film that adds up to something maybe it's kind of left in uh, kind of to your imagination if what you think may have happened happened or not and then uh the Luis character is kind of this he's a different type of character he's kind of more of an intellectual uh he's kind of seeing uh, things play out and he's kind of teaching the Enrique character uh, who kind of takes a liking to Luis, the Jose Maria uh, Prada character, uh, kind of teaching him or kind of just kind of mentoring him through this kind of rabbit hunt they go on. Yeah, he's he's very receptive to dialogue. You get the sense that Enrique, who's he would be like a son to one of them. Um, I don't think they ever establish that Paco's not his father or uncle or something. They they don't really establish that, do they? No, I never, I never, I never got that take. 
but you kind of get like an uncle vibe. Like, mm-hmm. That's kind of the vibe I got, but or at least what I sort of interpreted. But the Luis character, because they're all middle aged men, save for Enrique, who's probably in his early twenties, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. He does the things that Enrique's genuinely interested in seem to be more in line with what Luis is interested in. But he's tagging along on this this rabbit hunt for the sake of camaraderie, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, men like, you know, it's like men getting together at sports bars or men getting together to play sports or men getting together to go hunting or anything like that. Some, you know, some people need that interaction with the, uh, with other men and, uh, it can be healthy or it can be detrimental depending on the friendships or depending on the desperation. So there is a level of desperation here, um, that kind of, spoils the the evening but also what transpires is the the heat on these gentlemen and that desperation mixed with talking about things that they're upset about or mistakes they've made leads to these moments of anger and moments of rage and testosterone and and things like that and i think that's what probably attracted peck and paul because a lot of his films uh are dealing with the male ego um, in a lot of ways, uh, some would say, uh, detrimentally, some would say, obviously, you know, that's what they love about Peck and Paul films. I, you know, I can go either way on that because I think they can be detrimental, but I think the detrimentalness of that is what makes them entertaining. Um, but there's a little bit, you know, the, these guys, they're macho, but they're not overly macho. It's not like it's, uh, you know, preening for the camera or anything like that. These are just men being men. Uh, trying to go out, drink some Coca-Cola, mix some booze in there, uh, you know, shoot some rabbits and have some fun. Now I'd been warned that there was some graphic rabbit hunting and there is some graphic rabbit hunting in the film. So if you are sensitive to rabbits being hunted, um, you know, this is probably not the film for you. Uh, we'll go ahead and get that out there because, you know, we do, even though, even if it does add an element of spoilers to the film, I don't want to spoil, I don't want anybody to you know, be subject to something that might cause them some trauma because I said it was pretty good. Um, and sometimes seeing animals get killed on screen for real can be, uh, traumatic for some, uh, it, it certainly was for me with cannibal Holocaust. I mean, I, I don't go back and watch that film every Christmas. Uh, it's not really a Christmas film here in the, uh, the household. Um, I don't know if it'd be, it, it probably is a Christmas film in some household and I'm not judging. Um, but uh, that's not really the real bothersome part about it. There is a bothersome part in here where, uh, in true uh, European film fashion, there tends to be, there is a moment where we have ferret versus rabbit um, that is quite graphic. And uh, I would really warn against if you don't if you have issues with animal violence, I would really warn against that because it's quite cruel and uh, pretty rough. Even Will was like, uh, "Yeah, that uh, wow, <laughs> it's 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 just a little much." Um, so it is hard if you have if, if for both of us, we're both pretty seasoned at this point. Mm-hmm, yeah. Sound is awful. It, yeah. It's it was like I said, like you were saying, man, it was hard to watch. So yeah. full disclosure, if just us talking about it is giving you pause to watch this film, don't watch it. Yeah, I wouldn't watch it if I was you. I mean But the 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 parable of Ferret versus Rabbit is obviously here with the men as well, right? So that that that's why it's there. And uh, Sara is smart enough to know what he's doing. I don't know if he needed to show it, but he's smart enough to know what he's doing. And you get this underlying tension throughout the film, uh, and the way they build up the heat and the dryness. And uh, the film looks amazing. I should say it's on Criterion. 
Um, I watched it uh, last Sunday or Monday, one or the other. And, uh, man, it, it, it looked really nice. Um, the barren wasteland of the Spain desert, Spanish desert, Spain desert. Um, looked really nice, almost spaghetti western-like. And um, the acting is all really good. I will say that I think after a while, the chamber pieceness of it, of these guys kind of having conversations, it does kind of wear thin a little bit after a while because you're kind of wondering, are we going to get to the point of this story? Are we going to get to the climax of this story? But I do. I will say this: when it gets to the climax, it's wonderfully set up. Like it's it's set up almost like a uh, well, almost Hitchcockian in a way, right? Um, not not completely, but it's kind of set up almost like a mousetrap or like a mechanical, you know, like the board game mousetrap. You know what I mean? Like everything's kind of in its place for these events to transpire toward the back end, yeah, and really. No the fall yeah the, and really those last five to ten minutes you really feel the peck and paul influence on the film <laughs> or not the influence on the film but you feel the influence on peck and paul um because you even get a freeze frame here i believe yeah you do uh which you know in 66 for, for freeze framing but i but I, I do enjoy i did enjoy this film although i think overall it's it's a negative experience in some ways because it's kind of looking at what it is to be a man the stress, the stressfulness of being a man. Some cultures, being a man is much more important um, than uh, it is in others. But uh, one thing we can definitely say about men in films is that there is a self-importance and a certain machismo that men have that is easily manipulated in film form. Uh, when I say that, I mean that you know pride. Um, uh, you know, being turned down by women, things like that. All these things are all lead up to pride, really. But greed, pride. I mean, not saying that females aren't aren't um, susceptible to these things, but men seem especially susceptible to this stuff because uh, I think it all comes comes back to power or pride. And um, we got that I, the performance by Ishmael Merlo in this film. I love the Jose character. I love his performance in the film because he's clearly. He's got problems. He's put himself in a predicament and uh, he's trying to get help and he doesn't even want to ask for help. Right. He's reached that point of his pride. He's, he's, he's got himself in the, where he can't even ask his friends for help. That's how prideful he's become. And it's it's really it's really rough on his character in particular because he really wants to. He wants to be. Um. He wants to be a better man, but it's 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 like he can't he can't get out of his own way. Yeah, and uh, so that ends up being another part of the the male ego that kind of gets in the way of everything else. And uh, the great thing is, is like I said, they surround him with Paco, the kind of macho character who's always kind of combing his hair um, and tanning and things. And then you got Jose Maria Prada, the Luis character, who's kind of the intellectual. And he's kind of, you know, he kind of sees everything for what it is. And uh, him and Jose don't always get along. Uh, there's a scene, of, there's a blow-up scene in here. And then Enrique, who's this young boy who's really kind of smitten with the young girl, Carmen, which could be maybe troublesome at first for some when you see he's kind of got the male gaze going. But you realize it's more like, you know, innocent uh, flirtation more than anything. I mean, it, it's a little awkward, no doubt, because you do sense that, but... Again, he's probably in his early 20s, and this girl's probably, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years old. 
maybe 14. I don't know. Um, so it's a little awkward, but she's more in his, of his generation than these old men though. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So he finds, he finds a relatable character there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then Juan is kind of there because, and the Juan character is interesting because he almost feels like a guy who's already been through all this and like, he's given up. He's, he's went to the desert. He's, uh, hunting rabbits and raising ferrets and taking care of his mom and his daughter. And, uh, he, he's gotten out of the rat race, so to speak. Whereas Jose's so in it that he can't get out of it. That's what it felt like with me with the Juan character. It felt like he was like, I've been in that. I walked away from it. Uh, it was too detrimental to my health and my life. And so I walked away from it. Whereas Ismail, the Jose character is like, he's in it to win it. And unfortunately he gambles badly. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics that way. And, and, and Sara shoots the film very well. So I don't really have a whole lot more to say about it. The movie is, again, it's centered around this hunt and, um, you can, you can kind of put two and two together that, uh, the hunt is uh, basically a metaphor for what these guys are going through and, uh, the dominance of a species and maybe the dominance of a personality in this case. Um, but the film is really good. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I had never seen it before and I'm glad I did. Um, uh, I quite enjoyed it. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, no, I, I would echo what you said. I think, um, it's it's hard to necessarily articulate clearly, but the way that Saura shoots or frames this and, and presents this to us, he has a very clear-eyed, again, just to talk about the whole peck and paw thing, there's a very clear-eyed understanding of um, masculinity, of male relationships, of the male ego, of the fragility of the male ego, Um all these things are very clear-eyed and on display in this film, and I just think he uh, he does it in such a way that it, it seems very straightforward and direct, but it's uh, it's it's very effective. And like I said, I, I think he he shows a lot of insight and understanding um, into those things, which you know rarely do we see in films. Uh, to me, with as much truth and and, and sort of clear-eyed presentation as as we do here. Um, it you talk about the cinematography yeah it, it's really well shot it has this really punishing really kind of i mean you you, you can sense how hot it is right like yeah the, yeah, yeah the landscape's very punishing it's it's harsh it's yeah uh luis uh, cuadrado i guess is the cinematographer who interestingly shot the spirit of the beehive among other things well so how about that uh, a cinematographer of uh, of uh, certain acclaim. Um, so he shot a lot of cool films, but uh, yeah, you really get that sense, right? Like the heat is just—it's so oppressive, it's so punishing. The landscape's dry and and very unforgiving, mm-hmm. which you know works really well within the confines of what's what's being said in the film. Um, Another thing that, you know, between uh, Pablo Dalmo, the the editor, uh, and of course, coming down from the top from Saura, it uses a lot of techniques you didn't really get a lot in the early uh, 60s. Like there's a lot of quick cuts uh, in the film, a lot of close-ups. And I think by doing this, he gives us more of a sense of, like it almost heightens our... Um, 
the the feeling of sort of these guys being on top of each other, uh, yeah, of being yeah. claustrophobic, intense. It really ratchets up the intensity just through the the quick cut editing and the the, the close tight camera work. Right. 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 It makes everything feel a little more oppressive. Yeah, I mean, between that and the relationships of men, you can see the peck and pawness of it. Oh man, so much, so much. Um, and the film really looks at uh, some stuff that, yeah, peck and pawn, outside of just sort of the male relationships, but man's obsession with violence, right, and and war and and cruelty, sort of barbaric nature, is innate barbaric nature mm-hmm. at times, right, and. Um, it's, really, uh, to really toward each other more than anything else. I mean, obviously, they're they're hunting rabbits, but the real question here is why why are they so harsh with each other? Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> why can they not get out of their own way? Why can they not have a breakthrough in a yeah, and can connect in a really really meaningful way? Yeah, right. And it makes you makes you question why are we as uh, a gender? Why are we so harsh with each other at times? Yeah, I think we're getting better. Uh, I do. I yeah. really do. But um, this stuff does cut close to home, right? We, you yeah. know, you get a group of guys and and a lot of times there tends to be a pecking order, right? Yeah, uh, a, a peck and paw order. There we peck go. and paw order. <laughs> and, you know, it's especially with certain uh, cross sections of guys, like they'll they'll develop that hierarchy pretty quickly. And, and yeah, one, and, and all that stuff really comes down to is uh, esteem issues, right? I mean, it really, it really does. I mean, there always has to be a dominant male, and usually you'll find the male that is dominant has esteem issues, and they have to be dominant because of that. Yeah, and they got to project, right? So mm-hmm. that other sociopath, but... Um, yeah, there's that too. There's that as well. But uh, yeah, and, you know, interestingly, and I'm not making light of this, I'm not bald shaming, uh but it was a bit kind of disorienting of our four leads. All three of the men are these bald men. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever had a film where all of the leads have been bald. Yeah. 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 They, 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 they all are losing their hair. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. It happens to the best of us. Um, but it just, I really applaud sort of 50 years ago, 60 years ago, uh, having this film where men are discussing their feelings, there's this tension. Um, it just really, really wonderful, really wonderfully presented. Uh, I'll tell you what isn't wonderful though, is on a day this hot, never mind wearing sleeping in corduroy pants in the you, sun. You know what? I, I noticed on that close up, I noticed when they were kind of going up the leg, I was like, those are corduroy pants. This is the this is the wonders of high definition, folks. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> that is I don't even go hunting in corduroy pants. I mean, not much less sleep in them. Why would you even leave the house if you know you're gonna be outdoors in that kind of weather in corduroy? Yeah, because I got news to you. Any animal is gonna hear that <laughs> <laughs> when you're strutting, man, when you're tiptoeing through. Well, they're gonna smell your balls. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they definitely are. But cords, that that shot, and it's such a that's such an odd shot, too. It, it it almost he shoots it almost like a woman on the beach. Uh, so yeah, I think something's to be said there. I don't know really what that's supposed to mean, but uh, you know, obviously it's supposed to translate for the hotness of the day because everybody's skin is very uh, wet. But there uh, is definitely something being said. There's, there's something being said there. I don't know what exactly is being said there, there's but there's something. There's subtext there, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There was subtext there, but man, sleeping in cords in the sun—that's a bad move. 
super bad, bad move. move. Yeah, I mean that that's really bad move. Oh man. Um but yeah, just the emotional honesty of this film really I I, I found really admirable. Um and man, it's just especially of this generation, like not ours, but theirs. Uh, it's such a hard time expressing their feelings. There's the one moment when the friend puts his arm around his friend for an extended period of time. And, you know, you rarely got that. I can't think of too many moments in films where two male friends embraced, where there isn't an obvious subtext. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's very rare and it's a very unfortunate thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, the sense of isolation, right? These guys are together. They're seemingly four friends on a trip or like a hunting expedition. And yet all of them feel very isolated and are wrestling with themselves despite the perceived camaraderie. Yeah. Of this activity. It reminded me of that uh, Canadian film we did rituals. Remember that the Hal Holbrook film? Uh, I sure do. Sorry. An alarm was going off um, <laughs> to wake up my son for rugby and I didn't want it to interfere. <laughs> That's a great call. This see um, uh, that one. Rituals takes more of a backwards thriller bent, but it absolutely in the early going is set up. Yeah. Very, yeah. I, I'm willing to bet you that this film was an influence on that. Had to have been because I, that one's dealing with machismo a little bit too. Oh, it is. It yeah, is. Yeah. It does have a little bit, like you said, a little bit more of a backwards thriller type feel, but, uh, there's certainly that interaction between men and, you know, pride and all that stuff or deliverance. I bet you, yeah. you know, deliverance. This, yeah. James this, Dickey may have seen this film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that that ferret hunting footage is is hard to watch. Just to to punctuate that, um, it is, and I tell you why it is for me because you know it's completely set up to happen because you know they got the camera down in the burrow, so that means they had to dig out a spot and you know basically just they just drop that ferret in there, so they set it all up. So that's always kind of rough when you know that the director set it up. That makes it a little tougher, I think. It does. It's one of those things where I get what he was going for. What he was going for is powerful and, and, and is worth mentioning, but I just have to wonder about yes. the need to do that because these, yeah, anyway, it, it's, it's hard to watch. It's pretty wild footage to see from the side in the burrows, but this, this is one of the harder things I've had to watch in, in recent memory as far as the, the rabbits getting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like we said, the sound is hard, but anyway, uh, and then, you know, these ferrets, there's, so there's a cruelty there. There's this innate cruelty, right? Something's being said there. But um, then we get this, this cruel, indignant moment from a character with a ferret. Yes. Very unapologetic, very uh, callous moment. But again, just speaks to the kind of toxic machismo of men, right? So, right, right. Yeah. Anyway, those are all my notes. Uh this one came out of left field. It's like I said, it's not, you know, frilly, but I think there's a lot of influence here and a lot to admire. Yeah. I think this is an important movie more than it is a great film. It's a good film. It's a really good I, film. Uh, I'm glad you picked it cause I'd never seen it and I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I'd have came across, I mean, I imagine I might've came across it someday, but I don't know. This one might've eluded me forever. It goes to show you, right? You and I have been doing this show for 14 years plus. Mm hmm. We both loved films before we got on this show. Uh, we're both going to love them for our whole lives. And here we are 14 years in. We've been down countless rabbit holes. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. 
And this one had never even come across either of our radars. Never. Right? Never. That's, that's the beauty of, of film, the discovery yeah. of like this. And I'm like, I want to see more of his films. I want to look up some of these guys and the films they did. It's just, uh, that's the, that's, that's what we do. Yep. Uh, okay. MVT for me is I'm going to go with Sara on this one. I imagine I could probably go with him again, but I really like the, the lead actor, Jose. I really thought his face and he did a really good job with his performance, but I'm going to go with Sara here. I imagine I could, like I said, I could probably pick him again for another film, but I do think he is the MVT here. I think he's got going, you know, what he, what he needs to get going here. Make or break. This one's a little tough because there's a lot of scenes of them just kind of sitting around talking. And uh, a lot of good scenes of that. But I'm going to go with the make or break being the way they set up the ending and the climax of the film and the way it kind of pays off. I think you kind of see it coming, but I don't think you completely see it coming. I think it's still a bit of a surprise what transpires. So I would recommend uh, people watch it, if anything, for that ending. But I would not recommend this again to anybody that has a hard time with animal cruelty, especially... um, well, I mean, animal cruelty in the sense of the ferret-rabbit battle. Uh, the hunting of the rabbits is what it is. Um, I mean, I'm sure they were just hunting rabbits, and that does happen. I don't consider that cruelty. Um, it is what it is. I don't hunt, but it doesn't mean I don't understand why people hunt. Um, but the like I said, the ferret-rabbit stuff is it's 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 a step too far. But, you know, you might not want to see it for that reason. But I'm going to go with that, that climax. That climax is pretty powerful. It's pretty well done, too. It kind of leaves you silent for a minute. It does. It really does. It really leaves you think, thinking. Uh, my score for this, uh, 7.5 out of 10. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, not light watching, but uh, provocative, and I like that. Definitely. When you said ferret rabbit battle, I thought you were going to say a ferret <laughs> rabbit rap battle. Um, yeah, I don't know how that would go. I think that my money's in the ferret, I think. <laughs> Yeah. The ferret uh, does seem a bit more gangster than the rabbit. Yeah, a bit more energetic uh, <laughs> on the uh, MC tip. Um, <laughs> my uh, my stuff's pretty much in lockstep with you. MV, uh, excuse me, make a break is the finale. I love the dialogue stuff. Like I said, there's an emotional honesty and, and sort of clarity to them. But um, it, it feels like it's just it, the water's bubbling, 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 and then it boils over at the end, right? And we wonder how far it's going to go. And, and it, it's, it's like I said, it, it leaves you kind of, wow, kind of silent for a minute as you're processing what you've seen. Uh, MVT Sarah. Yeah. Again, uh, he's pulling the strings. You could have gone with the cinematography. The editing's great. Um, the actors all are, are really wonderful and which had to be hard shooting conditions, but so does the guy pulling the strings scores the same as yours, 7.5 out of 10. Uh, this is a very good film. Um, it's an important film. It's a very influential film. And, if you can get through, like we've we've banged this drum quite a bit. If you can get through the the rabbit stuff, um, I think there's there's a lot to be said with this one uh, for people to chew on. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be anybody to tell anybody to fast forward through that, but if I would I would be totally comfortable. I, I think you get the gist without having to watch that stuff, so you could fast forward through it, and you'll definitely know when the ferret rabbit thing's coming up. They definitely uh, prelude that quite heavily. Yeah, they do. All right, uh, now the shooting of the rabbits, that kind of comes out of nowhere. So just be warned that if that bothers you, then uh, you might have a tough time. Yep. Um, yep. So there's some rabbit struggling and things like that. Again, I only say this because some people, rabbits are a pet. They're pets. They're, yeah, yeah absolutely. They, for some people, they're pets. For me, they're not a pet. But uh, for some people, they are pets. Uh, my grandfather ate rabbits, so 
I've seen a lot of rabid death in my day. Um, yeah, by hand, which is even worse. Um, it, it was pretty nasty stuff, but you know, anyway, it is what it is. Um, you know, country boy, things like that. Um, all right. That's the show this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed, uh, we're going to come back next week and discuss, uh, so Irene Cara passed away and even though she's not in this film, she's a very important part of it. And I've always tried to find an excuse to put this film on the show because it was a big influence on me growing up in film watching. Um, and I have not seen this in 20 plus years. And I don't know why it was a big influence on me with film watching, but it was, I think it might've been the first time I realized that film can kind of get tied to just the, the importance of a song or marketing. And, uh, I think you'd probably, you, you were younger, but I think you could probably agree with that. The music videos and influential. I think there is something to be said. We'll talk about this in the review. Yeah. There's something to be said for uh, this isn't necessarily the kind of story we saw a lot in, in yes. film at the time. Right. Right. So, right. As well as having a great, great song, great lead song. Yeah. Really uh, going for a performance. And I think, um, you know, another reason why I wanted to pick it was too, we, you know, we pick a lot of films, obviously from the male point of view, we don't pick as many from the female point of view because we're men. So, so it would be interesting for us to discuss something from the female point of view. So we're going to be doing uh, Flashdance, which was a a pivotal film in the early eighties. And oh, this was this was culturally significant in the early in the right up until like our generation collectively. Yeah, I mean, it's still where it still has influence. I think I've seen a game commercial with uh, Craig Robinson where he drops clothes on a guy who does a flash dance pose in a chair. Oh, oh yeah, and listen. <laughs> I'll mention this next week. I dressed as Jennifer Beals in Flashdance for Halloween. Well, there we go. And yeah, I'll post that photo with the review, I think. Nice. Nice. It's a it's a win-win, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but we hope you enjoyed that. Look forward to talking Flashdance with you. And with that, I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com Thank you.